Thanks for listening to one of our messages at Crossroads Bible Church. We gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. in person and online. To find out more about our church or to connect to any of our ministries, visit our website at crossroadsbible.org. We hope you enjoy the message and pray it encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. Good morning, Crossroads. We're the Banks family. I'm Andrew. I'm Lauren. I'm Kylie. I'm Caroline. And here's your blessing for today. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you. And be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. Have a great Sunday. Bye. Bye. All right. Hey. Good to see everybody. It's good to be here today. We're in Numbers 18 today, but before we get into it, let's do what we do at CBC every single week. If you're new, we start the beginning of this portion of our service, and we just ask the Holy Spirit to show up because he's already here. Uh, you know, we live in, in a consumer-laden culture, and what that means for us sometimes is we enter into this space as a consumer that's not what the church is. And so what that means is sometimes we say, well, what am I going to get out of today? Or am I going to be entertained? Or am I going to laugh? Or am I going to cry? Or am I? And we come here today knowing full well that God has a message for us. And so we show up today and we prepare our hearts and just ask the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us and to teach us and to remember that in this space, we're not here to critique. We're here to contribute to the conversation of faith because God is good and God is near and God is here and he's leading us today. So we're going to take the first couple minutes and I'm just going to lead us in a prayer Ask if you're comfortable that you say a prayer to yourself, that the Holy Spirit might lead and guide us as we enter into some text this morning. So let's pray. God, I'm thankful to be here with followers of Jesus. I'm thankful to be here where we can remember what true north is and remember that you're good and remember that you lead us and guide us and save us and redeem us. I'm thankful. As we open your text into the book of Numbers today, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Holy Spirit, lead us and teach us and guide us, encourage us and edify us as we open your text. I'd ask if you're comfortable, just take 10 or 15 seconds and say a silent prayer and ask that the Holy Spirit might do just that, lead and guide you this morning as we open up the scriptures. I also ask that you say a prayer for me that God might use preparation to show everyone here his goodness and his faithfulness to us. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So this morning we're in Numbers 18. I was having lunch with a friend this week and. I started talking about kids and growing up and, you know, the move to the suburbs and how one day my kid's going to play sports and I'm excited to coach her softball team and his basketball team. And, and it, it hit me, it hit me that I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that because I, I'm a pastor and so like big work day is Sunday, right? And big tournament day now is Sunday and, and it hit me. You know, it's harder now to be a Christian than it was 20 years ago. 
And I don't mean like, old man, get off my lawn, it used to be perfect. That's not what I'm talking about. I, I just think in this space that we currently live in, it's just a little tougher to be a Christian, societally and then personally. Back when I was growing up in elementary school and high school, my school actually didn't give homework on Wednesdays because that was Jesus night, right? Now, I never went to youth group, but it didn't make me hate God, you know? <laughs> I was like, this is great, Back when I was growing up, I remember that there wasn't any sports on Sunday morning, and now there is. And, and look, don't mishear me. I'm not saying that that's good or bad. I'm saying it's different. There are good things and bad things that come from that. It's weeded out some cultural Christianity that we needed to remind ourselves what was truly good and valuable. That's a positive sign. It's just harder to be a Christian now than it used to be. We've lost some of our influence in society. We've lost some of that space that was just recognized and taken for granted. It's just tougher to live out the ways of Jesus now than it was 20 years ago. But, but more than that, it's not just like we've lost our footing in society, and sure, we have a little bit. I think it's harder to be a Christian because if you just look at the numbers, there are less of us, and that makes it hard. There's a study that came out in April, and it was by Pew Research, or it was Gallup, excuse me. And it said, for the first time in 80 years, in 80 years, religious membership in the U.S. has fallen below 50% to 47%. The first time since they started this survey, in 1999, it was 70%. For the first time since they started this survey in the mid-1900s, less people go to church than more people call themselves Christians than used to. And look, again, there's goods and bads that come from this truth, but we have to recognize it's more difficult to be a Christian now than it used to be because society doesn't carry the same values of church or Jesus, and there's just less of us, and that's a hard thing. There's a study that came out I read this week, and it said the way that Jesus people see churches and the way that non-Jesus people see churches is starkly different. It said that 80% of Christians trust their pastors. Thank God. You know, I'm really happy about that stat. But then they go on to say, this is how the world outside of Jesus' people see churches and Christians. It says that 50%, less than 50% of people that don't follow Jesus trust their community and trust the pastors in their community. So that means if, if I go play golf and I'm paired with somebody that doesn't go to church and I tell him I'm a pastor, there's a greater than not chance he's going to be like, I don't trust this guy to, to keep the right score, right? Pastors lie. He's right when I play golf, but that's just for me, right? <laughs> he also said that the difference between believers and non-believers is that 35% think the church is irrelevant in today's world. He goes on to say that about 30% think the church is hy hypocritical, that Christians are hypocritical. And guess what? We are. It's where we all need Jesus, right? We're going to espouse a lifestyle we're trying to live into, but Jesus did for us. We're going to mess up. It says that 48% uh, think Christians are known for their against, and 40% think Christians are judgmental. It's tougher to be a Christian now than it used to be. And you're asking, why are we talking about that today in Numbers 18? Numbers 18, if you read it, is all about tithing. <laughs> Just uh, kidding. We're not going to talk about tithing. It's about so much more. So if you, if, you, if you look at Numbers 18 in the context of the story of the book of Numbers, we just came off a week where the priestness and the leadership of Moses and Aaron was challenged. 
inside the ranks, the family of Moses and Aaron rose up and said, I don't trust you. You're not doing a good job. I want to take it over. They tried to mutiny Moses and Aaron in the first place. And it's a hard week for them. And if you remember how the story ended, literally people are dying all around them. And Moses and Aaron are standing in the gap of life and death trying to save their people. While at the same time, these people want to mutiny against them. It is a place where they probably felt pretty unappreciated as followers of God. It's a place where they felt uniquely called out and also times not very uniquely loved at the same time when they were fighting for their people's lives. Number 18 is when God pulls back, 17 and 18 we're going to be in today, is when God pulls aside Moses and Aaron and he says, hey, this, this is what I've given you as followers of me, remember. So today, today, when we talk through numbers 17 and 18, I just want it to be encouraging because it's harder to be a Christian now than it used to be. And this is God in this text saying, remember what I've given you when you follow me, because it's difficult. Because there are people mutinying against them. And it wasn't the first time they did it. It wasn't the first time that they decided that they didn't want Moses and Aaron leading. It's, it's when God draws an ear to these two people and he says, this is what I've given you. Remember, this is what it's like to live my ways out in a people that might not respect my ways. We think it's hard being a Christian now. It was really difficult for Moses and Aaron as they wandered through the wilderness. But before we get there, let's talk real quickly about how to interpret Numbers 18. This is why most people don't make it past Leviticus in their Bible reading plan, because you get to the set of laws and you don't know what to do with them. One of my pet peeves as a pastor is when people that don't know a ton about the Bible start quoting Leviticus like we should live under it today. And it seems really out there and it seems egregious and in some ways it is because those laws weren't written for us. They were written for Israel when they wandered in the desert. There's 613 of them. There's a lot of them. And most scholars break it up into three different categories. You have the moral law, the civil law, and the ceremonial law. So what we're going to do today is look at the calling of the priesthood in Numbers 17 and 18 and translate it to our world today. And why we bring up those specific uh, buckets of moral, civil, and ceremonial is it helps us as the church interpret what God meant for them and what he means for us today. So I'll read from uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith. It says, The moral laws are those that have enduring significance for all times and all places. The civil laws were intended for Israel where they dwelt in the land and consequently expired when uh, Jesus came. And their, uh, the ceremonial laws pointed forward to Christ and were fulfilled in him. So let's give examples. Moral law. Don't kill people. That's good, right? That's for us today. That's for us yesterday. That's for them. That's for everybody. Moral laws is don't kill people. Ceremonial laws dealt with what they did in the tabernacle. This is what we're getting into today, Right? So, for example, on Yom Kippur, middle of September, the Jewish community would bring a goat to the temple. Do not bring a goat to CBC on September 15th, all right? You will not be let in. It's Texas. Guns, sure. Goats, no. But that's just a whole other sermon. So we have to realize that, that there are some laws that we read in the Old Testament that necessarily don't apply one-to-one to us now, but they convey a truth about God that is informative to how we live now. That's the ceremonial laws. And then the civil laws dealt with how they dealt with each other in the wilderness through one another. The, cer- the civil laws dealt with how they in Israel related to one another. A, a good example is the, the law about gleaning. Gleaning is an Old Testament practice where God said, when you farm your land, you don't go all the way to the edges. You round it off. And whatever's left is left for widows and orphans, as we see in the book of Ruth, if you're familiar with that story. I'm not going to tell my family of farmers in Iowa not to harvest all of their crops. That's not what he meant. He simply meant in that daytime and place, 
this is how those people were to function to take care of all the people. That's how we treat one another. And that's changed because we're not that culture anymore. And so when we look at our text and, and, and our scripture today and we come up on a bunch of tithing laws in the middle of numbers, we have to remember that it's not a one-to-one, that they're talking about the ceremonial law of God, but it still translates to us because do you know what's really clear in the New Testament? Just like Moses and Aaron and, and the Levite clan were priests then, God calls the church his priests now. It always foreshadowed a group of people that stood for good in a world that might not appreciate or respect what good was. That's why Second Peter says it like this. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Revelation says it as well, that we are a kingdom of priests. It's what we get as we read this text. We read a text about the priesthood in the Old Testament covenant and tithing is we see what God has given us as priests who walk in the ways of Jesus now. Because it was difficult then and it's difficult now. And what we see in this text is this very real picture of what God gave his priests. Because he wanted them to know that there was good. And he wanted them to know that even though it was hard, standing in the gap is hard, fighting for life is hard, living out the ways of Jesus is hard, even though that it was hard, that God still gave them things. And that's one of the themes in our text. The phrase, I give you, is a key theme in chapter 18. You see it five or six different times. God's reminding Aaron and Moses in the middle of the difficult stretch, this is what I've given you to do the job that I've given you to do. And so today, I just want to run through what he's given. And I want to be encouraged because it's difficult sometimes to follow Jesus. I want to remind us what we need to hear about how and when we follow Jesus in our current day-to-day. I want to remind us that we are called as a people of priests to live out and live into the goodness of God in our day-to-day so that people might see that God is good because it's hard. And so he starts chapter 17. He says, Speak to the Israelites and receive from them a staff from each tribe, one from every tribal leader, 12 staffs. You must write each man's name on his staff. You must write Aaron's name on the staff of Levi, for one staff is the head of every tribe. You must place them in a tent of meeting before the Ark of the Covenant where I meet with you. If you know the biblical narrative, this is when Aaron's staffs blossom. And, and what the purpose of this text is, they question his leadership. They said, I can do what you can do. All God is doing in chapter 17 is showing his people his chosen person. All God's doing in chapter 17 is saying, I have chosen Moses, don't forget that I have, I mean, I've chosen Aaron, don't forget that I have chosen Aaron. He's saying, this is my person to be my priest. And the first thing we see about priesthood in our secular society, theirs then, ours now, is that called by God is a gift of God. It's a gift. Back in Exodus 28, it's the first time that that God says, I'm going to use Aaron to be priests and his sons and his sons and his sons. And what you see then and what you see now is that when God calls people to follow and to serve, it's not because we did something to deserve it. It's because God is good. And so the story in Exodus 17 continues. It says, on the next day, Moses went into the tent of testimony in verse 8. The staff of Aaron in the house of Levi had sprouted and brought forth buds and produced blossoms and yielded almonds. It's significant. Almond blossoms in the early ancient Near East culture were a highly prized fruit. White symbolizes purity in the scriptures. In Jeremiah, he associates almonds with watching and waiting on God. All of these characteristics were what Aaron did as the priest of his people. What he's saying there literally is that I've chose Aaron to make something that was dead a staff bring life forward. It's the role and the job of the priests. And he's picked Aaron over every 
anybody else. And, and that's where this begins when we talk about what it's like and what God has given us as followers of Jesus. Just the graciousness of being called in the first place. It's a gift. And that changes how we see it in hard times, you know? I have this painting that somebody made me for my wedding. You know, you do this wedding registry, and you pick all these things you want, and then people go off book. Awesome. And <clears throat> this one person that's near and dear to my heart made me a painting. She thought it was great. Um, here's my point. is It's a gift, and we just moved. And it's been up in the attic for three years in our last house, and I haven't touched it, and I forgot that I had it. And, and I went up there and I found it. And I'm thinking, well, what do we do with it? Does it go in the pile that we don't take with us, the pile that we do? And I, I couldn't get rid of it because somebody took their time to give me something. that I, It's a gift. And if you see it as a gift, it changes the intrinsic value of what's been given. And, and so when you see it as a gift, instead of something that's a burden, it changes the intrinsic value of what we've been called to because God gave us a gift that we couldn't give ourselves. He picked Aaron. Why? Not because of Aaron, because of him. We're here today. Why? Not because of you. Because of God, because of Jesus, it, it, it raises the value on following Jesus in the first place. What we want in this, in this 21st century world is a one-to-one rationale. We want reasoning behind what has happened all the time. We're, we're, we're a rational society. I want to show that A plus B equals C every time. Grace isn't that way. My three-year-old, when she does anything now, whether it's spilling food or, or dropping something on the ground or hitting her baby brother, I'll say, why did you do this? And she looks at me stone cold in the eyes and says, because I did, right? And I say, but, but why did he do it? Because I did. And it frustrates me. Why? Because I want to know the why behind the what. Grace doesn't give you one. Grace just says, God is good. Live with it. Grace just says, you didn't. Live with it. Grace just says, God has given you something that you can't get for yourself because of his goodness, not your worth or merit. That's hard. It's something to wrestle with, and it increases the value of the calling we have in the first place. What do we need to re- remember when we talk about following Jesus in a time where it's tough to follow Jesus personally in society? We start, we start with this beautiful depiction of what God has given us. It is a gift that we couldn't give or get ourselves. And so what he tells Moses and Aaron in chapter 17 is, I have chosen you. I just have <laughs> Remember that your calling, even though it's difficult, is a gift. And then the second thing he says in verse, in chapter 18, the second thing he says is not only a gift, it is a responsibility. It says in verse 1 of 18, the Lord said to Aaron, you and your sons and your tribe with you must bear this iniquity of the sanctuary, and your sons with you must bear the iniquity of your priesthood. I use the net Bibles. Some Bibles might say responsibility there. But that phrase is really intriguing iniquity of the sanctuary. So, so we want to think, that, man, I have this great gift. It's never going to be hard, you know, because it's so good there can be no challenges with it. It's like marriage. An immature view of marriage is I'm going to marry the love of my life and we're never going to fight. My wife and I didn't make through the honeymoon, right? <laughs> We'd have a special chat on day two of the honeymoon. <laughs> and, and we think, we live in this world where we think immaturely about, we think conflict doesn't come if something's good and that's not necessarily true. Because the priesthood was a beautiful gift, but it was also a big responsibility. Just break it down in that world. Priests spent all day butchering animals, getting blood splattered all over them, like working in the temple. When it says the iniquity of the sanctuary there, it literally means the work that goes in. And on a, on a practical side, it was hard work. 
There was a fire in the temple that had to burn all the time, 24 hours a day. It was your job not to let that thing go out as a priest, which means you had late nights and early mornings. You had a job that never stopped. You always maintained. You had to watch out for your people. There's a part in the middle of the the temple area where if people walked in there and they weren't supposed to, they just died. It was your job to not let them do that. You had the burden to bear of the responsibility of the priesthood in the first place. And so when he talks about the priesthood, he he makes sure that the people know that it's good, but it's not easy sometimes. In verse 7, it says, I give you the priesthood as a gift for service, but the unauthorized person who approaches must be put to death. Literally, they were responsible for the life and death of their people. This idea that they've been given something beautiful, but it doesn't mean that it's easy in the first place. I have friends ask, you know, kids that aren't married yet. I had coffee with a few of them this week, and they said, you know, is having kids worth it? And I said, not a good week to ask that question. Both kids are sick. I've been thrown up on three times. Not, not, a, not a great week. There's a study that came out uh, a couple weeks ago that I read that basically said people that, that don't have kids are kind of just as happy when they're older. <laughs> There's actually a study, right, I thought this was just funny. There's a study from, I think it was Princeton, and it says, a 2019 study found that older parents are happier than non-parents if their kids have moved out. And I thought to myself, we wasted money on a study for that? Like, come on, you know? It's just this idea that you're given something beautiful, and it doesn't mean that it's easy. It's really difficult, but if you ask me, is it worth it all day, every day, you know? That we've been giving something when we follow Jesus. And, and it, it's not easy, and it takes work. And really, that, that's one of the narratives of the scriptures from Adam and Eve in the garden on to us today is that we were not meant to be passive as we follow God. Christianity is not a spectator sport. Remember when I talked about the goods and bads of cultural Christianity? It reminds us that following Jesus isn't a spectator sport. It takes effort. It takes work. It's hard, but it's good. Adam and Eve are supposed to work and till the soil, work in the garden, and pass on God's good design and order to the rest of creation. It was work, but it was fulfilling work. It was work, but it was satisfying work. It was work, but it was what they were made to do in life. God's saying, he's not lying to him. I'm going to give you this gift. I'm also going to give you this responsibility. I'm going to give you this responsibility because it's what you were made to do and be, and it's worth it. Some of us need to hear this morning that following Jesus is a gift, and some of us need to hear that our calling is also a beautiful responsibility and it's good to work towards that we pursue Jesus and we live out his ways in a world that might not reflect or respect that and that makes it hard sometimes but the job is beautiful and then he continues he said hey it's not just a gift and it's not just a responsibility he also talks about the help that he's going to give them verse 2 bring with you your brothers the tribe of Levi the tribe of your father so that they may join with you And minister to you. In verse 6, he says, I have chosen your brothers, the Levites, from among the Israelites. They're given to you as a gift from the Lord to perform the duties of the tent of meeting. So it would be not great if God said, I'm going to give you this gift. It's going to be a huge responsibility. You have fun, right? And so in the middle of this, he's reminding Aaron and he's reminding Moses, here's what I've given you. I've given you this gift, and it's going to be a responsibility, but it's also going to be something you don't have to do alone. And the rest of this text differentiates between the priestly tribe and the Levite tribe. Same tribe, one was a subcategory of the other. And so you had the priests, the family of Aaron. 
But, but with that, you also had the rest of the Levite clan that supported and helped. Last week, we talked about the rebellion of Korah. He was a guy that just moved stuff, but he was a Levite. He says, I have given you other people to help you do this job that is big and great and worth it in the first place. Because sometimes when we're in the middle of really hard places, it's hard to see others around us, and we just think we're alone. Sometimes when life gets difficult, it's difficult to see the people standing next to us, you know. There's this scene from Toy Story 3 um, that I keep remembering when I think through this text of having others alongside me. Toy Story 3 is not a kid's movie. It's a movie made for adults to weep openly in public at a cartoon. Uh, and there's a scene at the end kind of where they're, they're like skidding down towards this fire, these toys together, which means death for them. And like they look at each other and they just grab each other's hands and they go down together. They live. It's okay. It's Pixar. But they go down together, and at that moment in the theater, you could hear grown people cry at a kid's movie, you know? And all the toddlers are like, what's going on? I don't know why you're crying. I grew up with Woody. That's why it's a big deal, you know? <laughs> this idea that sometimes in the middle of the hard moments, we forget that other people are with us. It's a resulting cause of the individualistic and then isolationist mentality that we bring in with our Western culture, because we like to do things alone, because we can. God says you're not. I have given you. When I was, I don't know, 20, I think, I lived in Guatemala for a little while, and um, I was teaching English down there at this mission organization, and I remember I was a long ways away from family and friends. I was a long ways away from people that I grew up with that I loved, and and, um, my grandmother got really sick that summer, and she ended up dying when I was down there. And I got a couple phone calls, and they dropped calls. It was up in the mountains. It wasn't really secure connection, right? I remember the phone call I got, and I just was sad, you know. She lived a good life, and we had a great relationship. But I was just sad. And I went, and I, and I sat on this top row of, of this little bleacher section at the school. And these three sixth-grade girls came and sat next to me. And I spoke bad Spanish, and they didn't speak any English. And I said, in, in my best Spanish, uh, hey, they said, what's wrong? And I said, my grandmother died. And I'm sad. And they just sat there with me. And they cried with me. And they said, it's going to be okay. God doesn't make us follow Jesus alone. He gives us the beauty and the benefit of others. And so he tells Aaron in this moment, I know it feels like everybody else is rebelling against you, but I'm going to give you help. I love what Bonhoeffer says about the role of others in our pursuit of Jesus. He said, the prisoner, the sick person, the Christian living in the diaspora recognize in the nearness of the fellow Christian a physical sign of gracious, of the gracious presence of the triune God. It's when others are present that we remember Jesus is. It's when others are present that we remember that Christ came. It's a ministry of presence that speaks, I think, most clearly into a God who's near and with us. And so he looks at Aaron and Moses, and he says, I know it's difficult, I know it's a responsibility, but you need to know you're not going at it alone. So as we follow Jesus in a society that's harder to follow Jesus, maybe some of us just need to hear that you're not alone. You're not following Jesus alone. You've been given people around you You can ask and you can come up here and you can meet people and we can be in small groups together and do life together and you are supported by others that call God, God as well. It's a beautiful picture of what God has given us as we do a hard thing together. And he goes on in the text, he says, not only are you given this gift and this responsibility and and yeah, you're, you're given others to help you, but he also gives provision. This is the majority of the text. This is when it talks about tithing. We're not going to get into it all the way, but look at verse 8. 
since I've given all holy things to Israel to you as your priestly portion and your sons as a perpetual ordinance. And so really from verse eight all the way down to verse 19, the bulk of this section talks about the tithing patterns and rituals of the Jewish community. And a couple things to know about the tithing patterns of the Jewish community is there were three main tithes that they had to give. So if you come from a Baptist world or another kind of world in, in the church, you, you might think um, that you have to tithe 10%. And at Crossroads, we, we don't believe that you need to tithe 10%. We believe in what's called grace giving, which basically means that you can tithe way more than that. We won't be mad at you. All right? <laughs> but uh, uh, really, what we mean by that is the Old Testament said you give 10% to Levi's and priests. And, and so some churches translate that into saying, well, that's what you have to give the church now. I, I'd say yes and no. I'd say God calls us to be generous, to give. The New Testament actually says give way more than that. Uh, but, but what we see in this text is that the Jewish people had three different ways to give. One, they gave 10% to the priests. Two, they gave a little bit to the poor. And three, every year they gave a bit to celebration and feasts. So there was literally a party line item in God's budget. How cool is that, by the way? And they'd come together once a year and have a big party because God said, this is worth it. Let's celebrate and eat and drink and dance. Yes, we don't teach that enough in the church. And so, really, if you want to look at what was given in the Old Testament, most people write and think and talk about it was more than 10%. Total, it was like 22.5-ish percent of what they gave, of what they, they got, they gave back to God. But 10% went to the priests. And, and this is God simply saying, I know it's a hard job, but I will give you enough to sustain you. It's really interesting, the Lord's provision for the Levites is 10% of all the national, the national production of the Israelite community, and about 4% of the people were Levites. So they got way more than they needed because God is good and he abundantly gives and he's gracious and fill in the blank there. But, but him, God is just saying that I have given you more than you might need to live out the purposes of God. And, and hopefully we reflect that in the church. So outside of we believe in grace giving and it's good to give and we're all called to give financially and, and with our time and with our service, hopefully we model that not just as individuals but as a body itself. We're going to get back to mission trips in this next year and we're going to ask people to send out letters. Why? Because it's good for people to join the mission of God and give. I can tell you story after story after story of high school and college kids and adults that didn't think that they could raise support and God showed up. I can tell you story after story after story of people they didn't know that donated so that they might go bring the gospel other places. It gives you chills that God provides for his people to do a really difficult job. That God says, I'm not going to call you into something that I'm not going to prepare you for. I can tell you stories of how the church has stepped into spaces where people needed and said. That's why we have a benevolence line item at CBC. So if people need help, we have money to help. If you need help, we have money to help, and we'd love to. Invest it in our people, in our communities, in the people that need it. It's the purpose of the church, to stand as priests in the middle and say, God is good, let me show you that by paying your rent, buying your groceries, being there for you when we can. I think, too, it's a beautiful picture that God is going to prepare you for the job he calls you to do. So let me brag on Kidsmen for a little bit at CBC. We have shifted our philosophy in Kidsmen a bit. Uh, philosophy is the wrong word. We just need more volunteers, <laughs> always. And when the pandemic hit, we had a lot of volunteers that were a little older and they decided to stop or not come back in the serving area, and some have. So we're asking families to serve more and it's been, I think, really good. But one of the things that I love the most about how Kara runs things in Kidsmen is that when you as a volunteer step into a room, man, you are stepping into a win. Everything is prepared for you. 
I'm not going to throw you in a room with 13 two-year-olds and say, have fun, talk about Jesus, right? Because <laughs> that's not good for anybody. It's this picture of what God does. He doesn't call his people to follow him and say, figure it out, it's going to be difficult. He says, I will meet your provision. I've woven it into the fabric of how that society functions in the first place. So some of us this morning as we follow Jesus in hard places just need to be reminded that God provides. Just need to be reminded that God provides because he does again and again and again. So outside of the gift that it is to follow Jesus and outside of the help that we get and the responsibility that it is and the provision that he gives us. Look at verse 20. He said, you will have no inheritance to Aaron in the land, nor will you have any portion of the property among them. I am your portion and I am your inheritance among the Israelites. So the last thing God says I'm gonna give you is me. When it says there that you will have no inheritance in the land or any portion of property, that's a really big deal. That's how they sustained life. In Psalm 16, the writer is talking about what it means for God to be good, and and he says that you've drawn my lot lines in the right places, that my future is secure. And in an agrarian society, land was, was, was generational wealth and security. In an agrarian society, land was what your promise in the present was and also your hope for the future was. In an agrarian society, land was the ball game. And he looks at Aaron and Moses, and he says, you guys aren't gonna get any land, but you have something better you have me as your inheritance. And this is kind of his last gift to him, and he's reminding him what the purpose and point of the Levite and the priestly tribe was in the first place. He says, you get to remind people that at the end of the day, when you live out my ways, you get all of me, the God who redeems and restores and saves and provides and equips and, and, and equips his people. You get to remind them that you get to live with me each and every day. Because from the beginning of the scriptures to where we sit today, God is a God of dependence, which means he wants us to depend on him every single day. He wanted Adam to, he wanted Moses to. That was his view for Israel. He said, you're not gonna have a king. You have me. We can talk, we can do life. I can lead, I can guide. The priests were a constant reminder of our dependence on God and how he provides. Each and every day we are called to follow Jesus in hard places. And we recognize in the middle of that, the biggest thing we're given is the presence of God himself. That's why Paul can say in Philippians 3, I've done a lot of good stuff. I've done a lot of great things. None of it stacks up to following Jesus. None of it stacks up to knowing him. None of it stacks up to him in the first place because it goes down to deeper design. As people, we were created for a purpose, and that purpose is to live with God. Paul messed it up. But he reminds the priest at the end of the day that your purpose is found in what the purpose was in creation in the first place, that you might depend on the God who created you all the time. So we've been given God as our provision for today and our promise for tomorrow. It's this beautiful picture of what it means to live out the priesthood today. Because he's reminding him, this is why it's good. It's good because it's a gift. It's good because it's hard. It's good because you have help. It's good because I've given you provision. And finally, don't forget, it's good because the God that saved you all this time, that that leads you literally in the wilderness every moment of every day, that provides all of your food, all of that you get, all of me. And and it gets down to this bigger picture of what he's trying to show Moses and Aaron. It's this quote that I love that you've probably heard before. But But he's telling him. He's saying that God doesn't call the equipped, right? Moses and Aaron never asked for this. Moses didn't think he was good enough. 
Aaron was just the brother of Moses in the first place that Moses asked to bring along. Instead, God equips the called, meaning he gives you what you need to live out the purposes of God. And we as priests right here, right now, are called. It's this beautiful picture in a time, in a place where it's difficult sometimes to live out the ways of Jesus. And I can't coach my kid's softball team. It's this beautiful picture that we need to be reminded of all the gifts that God has given us in following Jesus. We need to be reminded that he's given us everything we need. Because when it's difficult, sometimes we doubt that. That God has called us to do something, and he's equipped us to do that thing, and he goes with us when we do it in the first place. So he says to Moses and Aaron, be priests, stand in the gap. And this is why it's beautiful, because you have been called. And so today, you, me, this place right now, <laughs> what does this look like for us? It's a chapter on tithing. We're going to take donations. I'm kidding. Um, what it looks like for us is just to be reminded of the beauty of our calling. And that might look like encouragement this week. Text somebody and tell them, you know, like God is good. I hope you know that. To be reminded of the fact that we're not alone, look around in this room. It's easy to think we're alone this last year because there's been loneliness. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. We just got to be reminded of the beauty of our calling in Christ. Because ultimately, what we do as a church and what the priesthood did in this culture was it points to something better. Hebrews fills in the gaps there and says the point of the priesthood was to show us the beauty of Jesus. The point of the priesthood was to show us the beauty of Christ's sacrifice. The point of the priesthood was to show us the beauty of Christ's atoning work and the beauty of his intercession and the beauty of his calling as our king. The point of the priesthood was to point to the promise of something better. That's what the church is right here, right now. And I can't think of a time we're more needed than right now when people don't think we're needed. When it's hard. To look at in our culture and say, God is good. I know you might not trust us, but you need to hear it. Say, God is good. And, and as Christians, to come alongside one another and say, man, you've been given a gift. We've been given help. God provides and God is near. Go and be priests and show people the goodness of a God who loves them. Let me pray for us. God, I'm thankful for your calling that we as followers of Jesus, we as modern day priests get to continually tell the story of how you save, how you lead, how you've created us for a bigger purpose than ourselves. We get to tell the story of a good God. I pray that in those moments where we find it difficult, that you remind us of what you've given us. That you remind us of the call and the weightiness and others and the provision and you. And that encourages us to keep on keeping on because you've given us what we need to live out the message the world needs. That Jesus is good and that we are loved. So go before us, Holy Spirit. Give us boldness to live out the message of the gospel. To be priests in a culture that might not love or recognize the merit of priesthood. May we be a light in the darkness to show people that Jesus loves them. I pray these things in his name. Amen.